Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. I want you to picture with me a typical child sibling scenario, okay? Maybe there's two or three of them. There's the older, middle, and the last born. And the older is you know, being maybe a little bit bossy and telling the youngers what to do and that sort of thing. And somebody, one of the younger ones, speaks back and says, don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Yeah. 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 You guys remember that? Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's actually a, a telling response of something that we are all too familiar with <laughs> because it is sort of like stays with us from childhood right on into adulthood. We don't like somebody being the boss over us. We don't like being told what, what to do. We like being our own boss, don't we? Should we be honest about it? We, we prefer that. However, when we become followers of Christ. We receive him not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord, which means he is in charge, which means he's the boss. <laughs> as we let Christ be the Lord of our lives, we find and what's supposed to be happening anyway is that our old values and attitudes and habits get replaced with new ones, Christ-like biblical values and attitudes. And as we allow Christ to take control of our lives, we, we change. Humility replaces pride, and we become more and more like Him. It's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. And so in the remaining verses of Ephesians chapter 4, where we are this morning, we've been going through a study in Ephesians. We're picking it up at verse 25 of chapter 4. In these remaining verses, Paul presents several bad attitudes or actions that have to go, and the positive attitudes or actions that must replace them. In each case, he presents a reason for doing so, either the basis for the change or, or the benefit that is gained because of the change. Let's begin with a couple of observations about the negative and positive traits that Paul mentions in this passage, okay? First, they affect not only our relationship with God, but also our relationship with others, Second, Paul balances negative commands with positive ones, explaining his reason for each command and demonstrating that our behavior should be connected to our belief system. In other words, if we say we believe that God is God, that he's real, he's the one true God, and his son came to be our savior and Lord, that becomes our belief systems. And so then our lives really are to look like that and be a reflection of that very thing. And then finally, at the end 
of the list, Paul brings together several vices, he mentions them, and he contrasts them with several virtues, implying that he could have continued his list of putting off and putting on for several pages. <laughs> he could have done that. We know that he could have done that if you're familiar with Paul's style of writing, right? In other words, these specific examples are merely the beginning of an ongoing practice of replacing our old habits with new ones. Becoming more Christ-like requires that we do some really important things. And so let's pick it up at verse 25 as he starts off with something right out of the gate that we are to remove and something that we are to replace it with. We are to remove falsehood, as we find in verse 25. We'll read it here in a second. And we are to replace it with truth. Look at verse 25. Therefore... Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Those of you who were here last week, you might remember I talked about, I gave a little story when I was 16 years old in between junior, senior year of high school, got a job in Northern California, went to go join with to be with my uncle who worked in a transmission shop. He was a transmission expert kind of guy. He got me a job for the summer. I wanted to earn some money to, so I can come back home and, and buy my first car. I get there on the job. I show up at the shop, and I find out that I'm going to be the R&R &R guy. You guys remember this? And I found out that it didn't mean rest and recuperation. It meant move, remove, and replace. And so we talked about that. And so what we are finding once again, and we'll continue in that, in that thought, is that Paul continues to show us what needs to be removed and what it needs to be replaced with. We're going to refer to it as the R&R &R work of transformation, okay? So there are things that we need to put on and things that need to come off. There are things that we, we need to have put on and there are things that need to be gone and away from our lives, no longer clothing us. We now are clothed and to be clothed with Christ. Because believers in the church are to exhibit what we found in verse 24 where we left off last week, true righteousness and holiness. They must put away, Paul says, he starts with falsehood. This is, no doubt, is referring to all kinds of various forms of falsehood, anything that pertains to the old lifestyle and doesn't line up and doesn't become a part of Christ's truth as it's revealed to us in God's Word. This Greek word that we translate as falsehood is the word pseudos, from which we get our word pseudo. Okay, and here's the definition. If you were to go to the Webster Dictionary, this is what you'd find. It's defined as sham, deceptive, and even counterfeit. We also get our word pseudonym from it, which means false or fictitious name like what an author will use sometimes, not using their real name. And so falsehood includes all forms of lying from out-and-out -out contradictions of known facts to carefully couch words intended to deceive and mislead. It includes everything from little white lies to gigantic great big whoppers. <laughs> because the Ephesians, and as we have discovered 
had denounced the falsehood of paganism, that which they came out of. Remember, Ephesus was a city that was filled with all kinds of immorality and immoral religious temples to all kinds of immoral things. They had said no to that. They had walked out of that, denounced that kind of paganism. And so Paul is now urging them to take that decision even further by forsaking all lesser types of lies and falsehood. Likewise, for us to grow as Christians, we, we've got to also remove, uproot, if you will, falsehood in our lives of every kind and replace and cultivate, plant within our lives truthfulness instead. Now, notice with me, Paul doesn't say that we need to go to counseling to overcome the dysfunctional tendencies of exaggeration or miscommunication. He just simply says, says stop lying, period. <laughs> Get over it. Stop it. And he says, and stop it now. Cannot be. It's got to go. Maybe you've heard the story about a pastor one day who spotted a group of boys out in the church parking lot. They're all kind of surrounded around a little puppy that they just found. And they're talking, and as he gets closer, he can, he, he can figure out that they're, they're, telling, they're telling some pretty big, huge lies. So he comes up, and he says, boys, what are you doing? And so they say, well, we just found this puppy. Every single one of us want it, so we decided to have a contest. The contest is, is whoever can tell the biggest lie gets to have the puppy. The pastor is taken back and, boys, I'm so ashamed of you. Why, when I was your age, I would never tell whoppers like you are doing now. And the boys are like taken back and they're looking like, oh man, we're caught, we're busted. And then all of a sudden, one of the boys looks back up at the pastor and says, okay, pastor, you win the puppy. <laughs> Truthfulness, honesty, transparency are so important, church. If I place my hand on a hot burner and my nerves lie to my brain and say, it's not hot, I'm still going to get burned, aren't I? <laughs> so too, if one part of the body of Christ lies to another, everyone is affected. People get hurt, burned. Truthfulness within the body of Christ will help create unity. Now, we've been seeing through our study in Ephesians that Paul is all about unity within the body of Christ, right? And he's not left that idea. He's still talking about it. So this truthfulness now that he presents is within the body of Christ will help create unity because we are all members of one another. We're immersed in a culture that feeds on deception, aren't we? I know I don't need to tell you that. You know that. It oozes with falsehood on every front. That doesn't make our living Christ-like truth-telling mandate very easy, does it? Some members of the media make their living stretching, shaping, spinning, and tweaking stories that might not have been quite as interesting without those little misleading 
or exaggerated tidbits inserted here and there that are geared to make you come back for more. Advertisements are known for lies. This is why there are consumer advocacy groups to do. Here's something that's kind of new in our time. Who ever heard before? Things called fact checks, right? They exist for that reason. There's even government agencies who step in and say, enough is enough. And have you noticed, I had even mentioned politics. But then I guess I just did, huh? <laughs> oh, and by the way, yes, Paul says, speak truthfully to one another. But he will say here in a little bit, we will discover, do not use any unwholesome talk or abusive language. Have you ever noticed how some people have a hard time reconciling these two? They seem to think being honest means whatever, regardless, you know, they can say whatever is in their heads, regardless of how hurtful or how mean it might be. Paul is saying that conversation should see, be seen as something more than just an opportunity to dominate a conversation or just tell everybody what you think and what you feel and what, you th what your thoughts are on something. In fact, I want you to think for a minute, what does conversation even mean to you? Is it a chance to tell others what I've just said, what you like or don't like or what you think about this or what you think about that? Paul says... We need to come to a place where we need to start thinking differently about conversation. We need to look at conversation as the opportunity to say something helpful and encouraging to somebody else. Perhaps even, perhaps even to listen a little more instead of doing all the talking in this onslaught of falsehood. We Christians need to be tellers and livers of the truth. Amen. Amen. Start at home, carry it to work, practice it with your neighbors and your friends. Make it a part of your, can I use this terminology? Make it a part of your code of conduct as a follower of Christ. It's an essential part church of displaying your new nature in Christ. Amen. Let's read on verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The R&R &R work, remove anger, replace with self-control. Sometimes a Christian may legitimately become angry. Even Jesus become angry at times, right? And we love using that one, don't we? <laughs> well, even Jesus got angry. In those times, however, church, we, we have got to be extra careful how we act. For anger gives, please hear me, anger gives absolutely no excuse for sin. Not a whole lot of amens on that one. <laughs> we may not always be able to keep from getting angry, but we can keep from sinning when we do. When Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, I want you to hear this because I think this is so key for all of us. He wasn't angry 
because his feelings were hurt or because he was feeling ignored. He was angry because people were being hindered from worshiping the Father freely. That's what was bothering him. Biblical righteous indignation directs its anger at the appropriate object, church, sinful behavior, moral corruption, and unjust circumstances. Frankly, I think we could use more of this kind of anger today. Too often, we remain silent and apathetic about the things that we should be upset about while sin and injustice runs rampant. It runs roughshod over people. And instead, what do we get fired up if someone has offended us? Someone has accosted our pride. We get mad about that and not about what we should be angry about. But we also must take and make note of a warning that Paul gives us here. If you go to bed angry, he says, and the idea of this is letting anger linger. And if you do... He lets us know that you are in danger. The danger? Because you don't want to give the devil a foothold. And that, dear church, is serious stuff. How do we give him a foothold? You give the enemy the opportunity to plant a root of bitterness within you. Whether you realize it or not, even while you're sleeping. This is crazy, isn't it? It's a spiritual thing. You give the enemy the opportunity to plant a root of bitterness within you, and you'll wake up the next day. Some of you have experiences. You know it to be true. You'll wake up the next day even madder than you were the night before. The longer you let a broken relationship go without reconciliation, the easier it will be for the enemy to drive a wedge into that relationship, creating division, creating disunity within the body of Christ and church. This cannot be. It brings him no glory. Well, there's a place for righteous indignation that leads us to pray about an unfair situation, or an injustice, and to seek the Lord for its resolution, there is simply no place, there is simply no place for the devil in our lives. Amen? The New Testament principle seems to be clear that the believer should be angry at sin but loving towards one another, towards people. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. The R&R work removes stealing, replaced with honest work work. Stealing involves a whole range of activities, right? We, we were, were aware of this from obvious acts like shoplifting, embezzling fraud, and even robbing banks to the subtle 
borrowing of office supplies, <laughs> wasting time at work, reneging on a debt, or failing to pay, if you're an employer, a fair wage. All of these are forms of dishonesty for the sake, hear me now, for the sake of personal gain. That's the problem. Some blatant, some subtle, all sinful. You shall not steal is obviously right out of the Ten Commandments, right? And keep in mind, just as Satan is a liar and a murderer, he is also a thief. Who wants to be associated with that? John 10.10 10 tells us the thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Stealing from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Eve and the first Adam were thieves and got kicked out of paradise to a thief on a tree, a cross. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, said, Today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. My point? Oh, how Jesus changes everything. How amazing is that? And so the Lord would say to those who might have a tendency to steal, be it time from their employers or money from the government at tax time, start working. But why? So that you've got something to give to somebody else who might be needy. It's the whole reason. You've got to love that. God is so good, isn't he? In all civilizations, stealing has always been considered wrong. Go figure. <laughs> it is a timeless and universal value. Inherently, no one wants their possessions taken from them. Nobody. We have no difficulty understanding or agreeing with this command at its most obvious basic level. Rather than still Paul encourages all of us. Instead, we are to work. Why? Well, there are some benefits. There's a, a whole lot that I will, that other than what I'll mention here, but there's benefits. One, it is good. Everyone go like this. Yeah, work is good. <laughs> it allows a person to meet their own needs and the needs of their family. It allows them to do something meaningful with their time to feel purposeful and to contribute to society. Secondly, work allows a person to be able to give something to others who have needs rather than stealing from others or even being one who just takes, takes, takes from others. Work allows a person to give something to others. Work allows someone to feel good about themselves. Thirdly, work allows a person to support financially the advancement of the kingdom of God. Working is therefore a sign, folks. It's a sign of Christian faithfulness, maturity, and even unity as we all join in this together. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may 
benefit those who listen. The R&R work, remove unwholesome talk, obviously, replace with edifying words instead. You can always tell which kingdom a person is being influenced by, by their speech. Is this true? Yeah. The language of the kingdom of darkness and death is that of complaining and murmuring, fault-finding and cynicism, cursing and any type of corrupt communication. A person living in the kingdom of light and life, on the other hand, speaks graciously and kindly using words of hope and thanksgiving. We are to speak words that build up and encourage one another. Try to imagine if this one passage was consistently obeyed, how it would eliminate the overwhelming majority of life's conflicts that exist. As hard as it can be at times, our words as followers of Christ should build up and not tear down. The Greek word translated unwholesome was used to describe in that first century. It was used to describe rotten fruit or even putrid smelling fish. I know, huh? And that's my whole point. And <laughs> even mention it. All of those kind of would cause us to just simply go, yuck, right? Yuck. Applied to language, it can refer to several kinds of speech, obviously cursing, vulgar phrases, crude jokes, and even sarcastic, unkind, mean-spirited remarks. Plenty of the material that we find shared online nowadays definitely fall into that category. And notice how Paul contrasts unwholesome speech with its opposite. Words that are good for edification and appropriate to whatever the situation, which imparts grace to those who are being spoken to. How good is that? You see, I think if we could only learn to live by this simple rule, we'd save our families our friends, and our churches from a whole lot of pain and hurt. Do you agree? Yeah. Now, verses 30 on through 32, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The r, &R remove bitter attitudes, and they're listed there for us. We just read them, replace with kindness and compassion. The word translated grieve here, it's interesting because it is the very same word that is used to describe Jesus' agonizing distress 
while he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane just prior to his crucifixion. Same word. Our bitterness, our anger, our speaking evil of someone or losing our temper with someone, Paul lets us know, God is letting us know through the apostle Paul, it grieves him, grieves the Holy Spirit. Why? It's not that God says anger and evil speaking cause my ears to burn or bitterness and rage are offensive to me. That's not the idea here. There isn't a curse word that God hasn't heard, right? There is nothing that's going to shock him that we would do. God is not grieved by our bitterness, our speech, anger, or malice, and how it affects him, but how it affects us. That's what is grieving to our God. Not how it's affecting him, but how it is affecting us. He's grieved not because he can't handle our sin. He's grieved because it hinders him from doing what he wants to do for the work he's wanting to complete in and through us. Nevertheless, we are for sure to get rid of, put away, put off, remove these six hateful vices that are listed. Well, let's look at them again. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice, and in their place, replace them with three very loving virtues, kindness, compassion, or tenderness, depending on the translation you have, and forgiveness. Because God acts this way towards us, we are being instructed to act this way toward each other. You see, then the church will be built up. The people will be holy and Christ's body will be unified. And oh, how the world out there needs to see a church that is unified in Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding all of us that the Holy Spirit within gives us both a privilege and a responsibility. Our responsibility is not to disappoint Him by the way that we are living. Our privilege is our promised future. For through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are being told that we who are in Christ were sealed for the day of redemption. The seal of the Holy Spirit upon a believer marks that believer as God's property. I love that, don't you? How many of you seen people wearing T-shirts or long sleeve T-shirts of an athletic that belongs, you know, that's representing an athletic team, a sports team, property of? Right? Uh, if property of Broncos or property of whatever a baseball team might be. What about if, if we came up with a T-shirt that said property of God? Because <laughs> that is exactly what we are. Wouldn't it be nice if we actually believed that and acted that? <laughs> that we belong to Him and that we are to represent Him, that we are His property. And that's what we are being told here. Found on a church sign somewhere, I came across this. I don't know where it was. It said, life is short. Death is sure. 
Sin is the cause, but Christ is the cure. <laughs> Folks, every single one of us are called to, our, to do our part in building up the body of Christ. And please note, as we go about our lives building up the body of Christ, something awesome is happening while that is going on. You know what else is taking place? The enemy is being destroyed. As we are working with each other, applying biblical truth like we've looked at today, and being a part of building up the body of Christ at the very same time, Satan and all his works are being destroyed. You got to like that. You got to like that. We do this with our redeemed thoughts, words, and actions. That's what Paul is telling us. You see, every time you think a godly thought, you sow a seed of transformation into the core of your being. Every time you speak an uplifting word, you sow a seed of transformation into the core of your being every time you act with compassion, tender-heartedness, generosity, and kindness, you sow a seed of transformation into the core of your being. These things, our thoughts and our words and our actions, are more than just surface-level elements of our lives, church. They are the seeds of change. They are what the R&R work are all about, remove and replace. And may we also be all about change and transformation as well. Within the Wellspring community is a familiar verse. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This verse isn't about building walls around our lives or around our hearts, church. It is about nurturing it with God's word. Fifth century theologian Augustine once declared of God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Church with God, all striving, old habits, Self-centered living must cease. For in Him, new life and all longings are met. Because Jesus really is to be more than enough. Amen. Amen. More than enough. Father, we come before you. Again, we want to say thank you for being our good and faithful God. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your word. Your word is life-giving, it is truth, and it brings freedom. Lord, when you are our Lord, when you are the one who's calling the shots, when you are the one who is allowed to be our boss, that doesn't bring boredom, and that doesn't bring uh, anything that we might connect with 
being under somebody's yoke, it doesn't bring bondage. It brings the opposite. It brings freedom to our lives. The very thing that every single one of us in here want and long for is found in you, Jesus. And it's just simply believing your word and applying your word and its truth to our hearts and to our lives, embracing it, living it, trusting it, and obeying it. And then we find freedom in you. And then we find the R&R work taking place. It's then we find true transformation happening when we become less and less like our old selves and more and more like you, Jesus. And we just want to be more like you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.